today we are coming into the final chapters and final verses of the gospel of Mark. We've been working through Mark's gospel for quite a few months, and so uh, if you would listen now for God's word to us today, we're in Mark chapter 15 and verses 16 through 47. And Mark writes this, the soldiers that led Jesus away into the palace, that's called the praetorium, and they called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, on Jesus. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him and then led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see who would get what. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it back in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. They said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, and at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling out to Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone, he said. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem, and they were also there. 
It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we do thank you for this time in worship, this time in community one with another. We thank you for your word that now we may come under it, and we pray that your spirit would press the truths of your word deeply into our hearts this day. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. For indeed, you are our rock and our redeemer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for many months now, we have been on a journey through the book of Mark. We've been walking along this path that Jesus has laid out for us. We've seen much, and we have learned much. We've seen Jesus being baptized. We've seen the Holy Spirit descending upon him. We've heard the voice from heaven saying, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. We've seen Jesus calling his disciples to follow and sending them out into ministry. We've seen demons being cast out, even thousands at one time. We've seen thousands of people fed, healed, taught, and ministered to. It's a road we've been on together with many lessons with many joys, many difficulties, and many amazements. And now we find ourselves at the end of the road. We find ourselves standing at the cross, learning these final lessons from our Lord and our teacher, Jesus. Now today we have a very familiar text. It's quite a long text and I'm just going to try to highlight a few things that stand out to me and that I think are fruitful for all of us today. Start in verse 21. The text says, or, or in, in verse 21, we, we encounter this passerby. The text says his name was Simon, Simon of Cyrene, a certain man from Cyrene. Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country so, so he was probably a pilgrim, a Jew coming in for the, the, the festival of Passover in Jerusalem. So he's coming into the city and they forced Simon to carry the cross. Now in Luke's account of this scene, it says that Simon, specifically Simon carried the cross behind Jesus. So Jesus is being marched to Golgotha to be crucified, and Simon is carrying the cross or the cross beam of the cross behind Jesus. And I think there's some significance in that, that Luke notes that Simon carried the cross behind Jesus. 
Um, just, just as with Simon, Jesus walks before each and every one of us who are his followers. He walks ahead of us. He leads us. And brothers and sisters, Jesus will never ask you or call you to go somewhere or to serve in some situation that, that he has not already gone to, that he has not already been to. He always goes before his people. He prepares a way for his people. Verse 22 says they, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha. That means the place of the skull. And there they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. But Jesus, he did not take it. Now this sort of, this sort of was curious to me, this myrrh wine, myrrh wine. This goes way back in Hebrew history. And women would offer it, women who are caring for the sick would offer myrrh wine to those who were sick. It was sort of like palliative care or like hospice care for those who were very sick. The myrrh wine would um, numb the pain or the myrrh wine would make the, the patient or the person who was very sick sort of sleepy and cause them to, to sleep or to rest. And through time, the Romans picked up this tradition of using myrrh wine because even the Romans knew the, the horrors of being crucified. And so to those victims of crucifixion, they would offer myrrh wine to help lessen the pain of their uh, of those being crucified. And, and they offered it here to Jesus, this, this myrrh wine, but Jesus refused it. Jesus was going to, to bear the entirety, the full weight of sin. He was not going to allow any earthly remedy to lessen the pain of the wrath that he was going to bear on your account and on mine. In verse 24, they crucified him, they divided up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him, and the written notice was there, the king of the Jews. Verse 27, they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, wagging their heads at him. So you said, you're going to destroy the temple, build it back in three days, right? Save yourself, come down from the cross. The same way the, the religious leaders that we've spent much time talking about, the religious leaders, they, they uh, mocked him. They said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. They said, you know, if this Messiah, if this King of Israel would come down from the cross, we could see that, then we would believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Now, there's, there's just something that strikes me as so wrong in these verses, right? This mocking of Jesus. Not only do we see this intense physical pain that Jesus is experiencing on the cross, but we also see this emotional abuse that those around him are, are heaping upon Jesus. It just seems so wrong. We see these people testing, testing God, basically. God's people are testing God. Now, the Bible says we should not test God, right? It's made very clear in Deuteronomy 16, 6. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When it comes to God, the testing 
is only one way. God may test us, but we do not test the Lord our God. Psalm 11 verse 5 says, The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked he hates with a passion. So the Lord tests the righteous. The Bible says God is going to test us. There will be those trials that we endure. And, and it seems so wrong to me, like the people around Jesus are testing him in a way, right? Oh, if you'll come down from the cross, I'll believe in you. And, and you know, that, that seems so wrong to me. The only way I can understand that is through, is through the witness of Scripture. Again, back to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 8, 16, um, we, we read, He gave you manna. God gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble you and to test you. And then it says this, so that in the end, it might go well with you. And so here we see there's this relationship between being tested so that it might go well with you. That's sometimes very difficult for us to to reconcile. Uh, I would dare to say most of us don't enjoy times of trial or times of testing. But but there is something profitable to come from that. So that it will go well with you in the end. That's what Jesus is revealing to us. That there is good in the end. And I think there's also a connection here. Back from verse 21, Jesus walks before Simon. Jesus walks before us. He prepares the way for us. We may experience testing and trial so that it will go well for us in the end. And in these verses, I think it is hard to see. It's hard to see. Where's the good? Here they are killing Jesus. Where is the good? But the scriptures reveal that this testing leads to something good in the end. Now verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those standing near heard this and they said, listen, he's calling out to Elijah. Now, I think the reason they're saying he's calling out to Elijah is because this word Eloi sounds kind of like Elijah. And if you can imagine Jesus on the cross and the the suffering he is enduring and, you know, he's in terrible pain, his his tongue is probably swollen at this point. And so he's, he's crying out, he's He's screaming out, but you can imagine his speech might have been a little difficult to understand. So he cries out, Eloi, Eloi. Maybe they thought it was Elijah he's crying out to. So um, then someone filled a sponge with wine, offered it to him. And then they say, let's leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah will come to take him down from the cross. And with a loud cry, verse 37, the loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Some of the other gospel accounts indicate that here Jesus said, it is finished. And then verse 38, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. That's kind of the lesson that is being revealed to us here, right? The whole point 
we've been waiting for throughout the gospel of Mark, right? God has been going before us to show us that Jesus truly is the Son of God. And, and I believe it's only three times in Mark's gospel that, that this, is, this is acknowledged, right? By, by, by the voice of the Father from the heavens at Jesus' baptism, that this is God's Son. The demons recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. And then here, the Roman centurion. He's the only the third throughout the whole story to acknowledge there. Surely this was the Son of God. And that's good news. And then verse 38 says the, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So this veil or this curtain in the temple, it both literally and symbolically represented a separation of sinful people from a holy God. And because of Jesus dying on the cross, this, this separation was no longer needed. And the destruction of the, the curtain or the veil in the temple, it destroyed the purpose of the temple. Now, the purpose of the temple was for priests to go and to make or to offer sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people. And it never stopped. It never stopped because there had not yet been a perfect sacrifice to atone for sin. Hebrews 10, 12 says, our high priest, speaking of Jesus, our high priest offered himself as a single sacrifice for sins, once and for all, good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Right, so the Son of God, Jesus, He is our great high priest. He is also, He's not only our priest, but He is our sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice, right? And He represents us before the Lord. He atones for our sins. And, and therefore, there's no longer a veil or a curtain in the way. There's no longer this separation. There's no longer this need for all of these priests to intercede on our behalf because now we can go directly to the Father. And, and the great good news is that the Son of God represents you and me before the Father. Now, someone shared with me over the weekend, they, they noted with this text coming up where it, where it is now, not because of any great planning on my behalf, but that this was also the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Jewish festival this weekend, when, when the Jews would, would seek to expiate their sins and, and, and achieve, achieve reconciliation or atonement with God. And here we have Jesus who, who is... He is representing us before the Father. He is atoning for our sins. He is the perfect Lamb of God who makes us right, who makes us at one with the Father. So pretty good timing. Now for so long, priests, they had been working and working and working day and night making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice and they were never able to stop and they could never do enough to fully atone for our sins but our Jesus he shows up on the scene he shows up on the cross and he says it is finished it is done the son of God has fully fulfilled our debt for our sin. 
Now we know this. He did not deserve to die. It was our sin. It was our debt. It was our lust. It was our murder, our adultery, our worship of idols. Everything that separated us from the Father. And Jesus took it. It was ours. And Jesus took it. And he cleansed our sin-stained lives with his blood poured out for many. He truly is the son of God. Centurion saw it. Surely this was the son of God. You know, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. And we can't, we can't be standing in Simon's shoes, taking up the cross, following Jesus and not believe, right? We can't even be standing there watching this, right? As God's people and not believe that Jesus is leading, right? We must believe. This is a faith issue. This is a belief issue. You know, some people were watching, the scripture says. Verse 32, some people were watching. They said, let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross. And we'll see that. And then we will believe. Right? That's a faith issue. Or a lack of faith issue. And that was not only an issue in Jesus' day. Brothers and sisters, that, I mean, that's an issue today. That's an issue in our day as well. Faith issue, a belief issue issue. And you might wonder, well, if they had to see it to believe, they were wrong. I mean, what can I do? I want to see, right? I want to see. How do I believe? Of course, Jesus says in John's gospel, in John 20, verse 29, he says, have you believed because you have, you have seen me, right? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Blessed are those. That's where we are, every one of us. We, we, we have to believe. We have to take that leap of faith. We're not there. We're here. We, we have to believe. It's a belief issue. And, and I say this only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, believe. Believe the work is done. It is finished. Believe. Sin no longer has to separate you from the Father. The veil is torn. Let Jesus take that crippling yoke of sin, that crippling burden off of you, and let him instead place upon you a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light so that you may find rest, soul rest in the Son of God, our Savior. Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient unto death. And we can't really talk about this obedience unto death without talking some about humility. Humility is really where belief begins. Belief is where death is received. Humility is where life is given. Humility, we could define it simply in terms of faith. We could say humility is complete dependence upon God. 
That's something we had back in the garden. But the poison of the serpent was spit, if you will, upon Adam and Eve, our first parents. And that poison was pride, which pride we could simply define as it is the desire to be like God. Pride is the loss of humility. And so you and me, if we are, or when we are without Christ, we are children of pride. It's ingrained within us. It's part of the human condition. As sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, we are prideful sinners, you know, just to say it, just to put it bluntly. It's the truth. But God knew this. And God sent the humble one. He sent his only son to redeem us. And his son, our Savior, he lived a perfect life that we could not live, a life of perfect humility to the Father, a life of complete dependence upon the Father in all things. During his life, he never once gave in to sin or pride. Indeed, Jesus' humility is our salvation. Jesus fulfilled the ultimate, original destiny of man, something we could not do, and he lived a perfect and blameless life. Philippians 2.8 says, Jesus humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death. <clears throat> now, earlier I said how uh, about Jesus, you know, those religious leaders, um, they, they said, we've got to see it to believe it, Right? And, and, and they were wrong for that. So how do we do that? How do we believe? We can't see it. How do we believe? Right? Uh, the call upon us is to believe in the, the power of the salvation of the Son of God for, for our lives. It's displayed in the cross. How do we do it? We do it as we become humble. We do it as we adopt a posture of humility. That's what Jesus did. And his obedience unto death is the ultimate example. So, so believing in the humility of Christ, it means this. It means that you die to self. It doesn't sound so great, right? You die to self. <laughs> doesn't sound so great. Um, how do I die to myself? Well, on my own, I can't, right? This is a work of God. It is only a work of God. Self can never cast out self. Yet the death of Jesus, once and for all, is that death to self. And that's what we receive as we believe. And as a result of, of believing and this work of God, of this death to self in ourselves, we find life. We find life, true life, abundant life, a life that is fully dependent on God, a life that is, never, that it, that is no longer held in bondage to sin, a life that is obedient unto the Father. And in this belief, we enter into humility, and the great true high priest goes before us, just as he went before Simon of Cyrene. And this is wonderful good news for every single one of us. Back to the text, verse 42. It says, this all happened on 
this all happened on Friday. It was the day of preparation. It's just the day before the Sabbath. So you needed to do things to prepare for the Sabbath so that you would rest and worship on the Sabbath. So it's the day of preparation, verse 42. As evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was already dead. So Jesus died more quickly than was expected on the cross. And Pilate summoned the centurion to ask if Jesus really was dead. And he learned from the centurion this was so. So he gave the body to Joseph. Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and then he placed the body in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. So, brothers and sisters, we have walked with Jesus through the humility of the cross. We have stood in front of the cross. Now, we stand before the tomb. The stone is rolled over the entrance. The tomb is sealed. And what we thought was the final lesson indeed has turned into a gift. And today, we just catch a little glimmer of that gift, right? Next time, chapter 16, we'll embrace the gift in its fullness, right? That's the next sermon in Mark. And we'll see and we'll receive this final gift of God. But if you're going to hear anything today, brothers and sisters, hear me. Believe. 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 It seems dark. It's always darkest before the dawn. For truly, this is the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we know that you are true. We know that you are just. We know that you are righteous. And we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we here would be a people who, who will cry out to you, that we will believe in you, that we will proclaim you. And I pray that you would grant that belief, that you would give it. And I pray, Jesus, by your spirit, that you would draw us unto you, Touch our hearts with your love. We, we ask all of this according to your will for our good and for your glory. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.